Once again, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. From the moment that God said in the garden, it is not good for this man to be alone, we are reminded, and it is clear, that God intends our walk and our journey on this earth to involve relationships. As we move on through the the Old Testament on into the New Testament, and we see the ministry of Jesus and others, we hear and see over and over again the nature of our journey as relational. And the struggle that I think we have with that is that there's something in us that says if that success is measured by my journey alone. As long as I'm okay, as long as, as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, as long as I get to the end result that I'm hoping for and desiring, then that's really all that matters. But when we read the Scriptures, we find that talking about my journey is not enough. What Christ is calling us to is to think about our journey. And one of the places that I see that, one of the people in whose life life that I see that is John Mark. John Mark is probably not uh, the most famous of biblical characters, not a person that people might quickly remember and, and, and connect things to, but he is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. For one, in his mother is a believer, and in fact, she is sort of the center point of what goes on in, in the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 12, Peter is in prison, and it says that the people, the Christians, had all gathered at John Mark's mother's house to pray for him. And when Peter is released miraculously by the Holy Spirit, he knows exactly where to go, right to her house. Most scholars believe that John Mark is, is the author of the second gospel, and that he, he gets this gospel story not only from his own experiences, but from being close with Peter, and in essence, maybe actually telling Peter's story. And there is another incident in which people uh, tend to think John Mark is involved. When Jesus goes to the, one of the gospels, and Jesus goes to, is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the, the soldiers come to arrest him. And uh, people, things are happening quickly and lots of people around. And there is a story of one young man who is trying to get away and one of the soldiers grabs him. And when he does, he twists out of his cloak and runs out of the garden naked. And most people believe that's probably John Mark. Now, you know, you could say he was the first streaker in the New Testament, but we won't say that. (laughs) But, you know, John Mark has a lot of, he's involved in a number of the stories, but there are two that are even more significant. One of them is in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to be sent out by the church in Antioch. And, and they are preparing to go, and they decide, let's take John Mark with us as an assistant to help us. And they do. And they start out on this journey, and they get part way out, and they're, they're out of ways, And it says to us in Acts 13, verse 13, Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia 
and landing at the port town of Perga. And there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas continued their journey. Luke doesn't tell us why John Mark leaves. There is all kinds of speculation about that. Some people think he's homesick. Some people believe that maybe he's a little bit disturbed that Paul is taking the leadership of the team instead of Barnabas because Barnabas and John Mark are more than likely cousins. And he's upset about that, that his cousin is losing some of the authority and the leadership and Paul is, is, Paul is taking that. We have no idea. Maybe he, he just is afraid about what they're about to face. We have no idea why he leaves, but he does. But the one thing we do know is that Paul considers John Mark's actions desertion. Because when we get to Acts 15, at the end of that, Paul and Barnabas say to each other, you know what, let's go take another journey. Let's go out and visit the churches once again. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's response is, absolutely not. He deserted us before. I don't trust him. I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not taking him with us. And Luke says that the argument between Paul and Barnabas becomes so sharp that Barnabas takes John Mark and goes one way, and Paul takes Silas and goes another way. And they separate. And right in the middle of that separation is John Mark. We don't know exactly all the conversation that went on between Paul and Barnabas, but obviously their opinions, their feelings about John Mark are at the center of their decision to go separate ways. And there is something in that story that, that speaks to me as I think about it, and I think about a road sign that, that matches up with that story, and the road sign that comes to mind is merging traffic. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of the merging traffic sign because it feels like it's always slowing me down. It's always leading to traffic jams. It's always leading to more and more problems. It can be so frustrating to, to come up and you're on the road, you're going quickly, and here come cars merging in. And inevitably, you have to do one of two things, maybe sometimes both. You have to slow down and you have to move over. And that means if I'm traveling on cruise control, which I normally am, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I have to cancel it, and I hate doing that. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to move over. I want to keep going on my journey because I want to get to my destination as quickly and efficiently as I possibly can. An emerging traffic sign means that that is going to be affected in some way. And I have to slow down. I honestly usually have to move over to make room for those people coming in. And I'd actually rather not do that. There is something about the idea of merging traffic in the Christian life that I think we're continually being called to. To make room for other people. Part of the problem, part of the struggle with that is that we get so enamored with our destination. We don't think that much and don't really honestly pay that much attention to the other people wanting to get on the road. 
They're an inconvenience to us in getting to our destination. And something in us believes that if we get to our destination in a a timely manner and, and we get there successfully, then it doesn't matter that when we look back, there is a trail of cars in the ditch who couldn't get on the road because we wouldn't slow down or move over. And something in us says, well, that's their problem. My success is just my success. And we get so focused on the end. We get so focused on where we're going, we can't see what's going on in the moment. Now, 10 or 12 years ago, uh, Cindy and I were driving from Rushford to Canyadea on 243, and a deer jumped out in the middle of the road. I swerved to miss it, which I did, but it created a chain reaction of uh, spinning the car around, hitting the guardrail, and totaling our car. Fortunately, we were basically fine, but the, the car, it was totaled. So we had to go look for another car. And because of the circumstances, we weren't going car shopping thinking, well, you know, I don't know, do you want to? Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. We needed another car. So we were there to buy a car. And one day we drove into a dealership, uh, and, and we pulled in, we parked, we got out, and we started walking toward the front entrance, and someone started yelling at us. And we're thinking, why are these people yelling at us? And they came running over and they said, hey, look, we're, we're doing a, a commercial night right now and you're going to have to get out of the way because you're getting into the scene and you're messing this thing up. And he said, you've got to move out of the way. And so we said, okay, we'll move out of the way. We went back to our car and we drove out of the lot and went somewhere else. And the irony of that was not lost on us. That here was a couple who had come to this dealership to buy a car and was politely or impolitely pushed away so they could make a commercial so people would come to their dealership and buy a car. And I think sometimes we get so enamored with the destination, we get so enamored with what we're doing, we miss what's going on in the moment. We don't see it. But here's the reality. A journey with Jesus is always going to mean it's a journey with other people too. Because that is the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of the way God creates the world. It's the nature of the gospel. I think the Apostle Paul is struggling with that. I mean, we don't know what's in Paul's mind, and Luke doesn't really tell us, but there's something here that causes me to to believe that Paul is saying to Barnabas, I'm not willing to slow down or move over to accommodate John Mark in his journey. And I think that's the calling of the gospel. But eventually, Paul gets it. We don't know when, we don't know how it happens, but eventually it it be it he changes his mindset. Because when we get to the end of 2 Timothy, which is one of the last letters Paul writes, in this letter, as he's talking about these greetings and asking Timothy to bring things to him, and he's talking about different people who have been, who've deserted him and been there for him, he says in the middle of this, only Luke is with me, and then he says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Something has happened. And Paul's whole mindset has changed. And quite frankly, we don't know how that happened, how he went from 
not wanting to be associated with John Mark to now saying John Mark is one of the best people I could have around me. We don't know exactly how or when that happens, but I don't think it took a lot of time because what you find when you read the writings, the letters of Paul, you see this idea woven all throughout them. And it makes me wonder if the struggle in the moment that we find recorded at the end of Acts 15 isn't what is a trigger for Paul to realize, you know what, I need to talk about this a lot more because we all wrestle with it. And so you come to the the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And here Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of the God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and I had such faith I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And Paul is saying, you can get to the destination, you can do phenomenal things for the kingdom, but if you don't make room for other people, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because the journey with Jesus is always a journey with others. And that's the call of the gospel. There is a sense in which what what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13 is that to love someone, at least a part of loving someone, is being willing to be less efficient in our journey. We're always about efficiency, right? We always want to do what's the most efficient thing? What's the, what's the thing that will bring the, the biggest bang for the buck? What will get us the furthest down the road? And I think there's a sense in which Paul is saying here, you can't really think that way. You have to think about being willing to be less efficient. Not because to be less efficient doesn't mean it's because we're lazy or we're apathetic. Actually, it's the exact opposite. We're just doing it for a different reason. We're thinking about others, even as we're thinking about ourselves. Our journey becomes enmeshed with the journey of others. I think that's why Paul talks about the fact that he gives up his rights for the good of others. He says, I have the right to do whatever I want to do, but not everything is best for me, and not everything is best for other people. And so I'm willing to give up my rights. I'm willing to be less efficient as we tend to measure that for the good of other people. I think that's why Paul so often uses the phrase, one another. All throughout his letters, he keeps admonishing people about the connection they have to one another. And he, he talks about the fact that He says, be devoted to one another, encourage one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, agree with one another, instruct one another, greet one another, admonish one another. Over and over and over again, Paul talks about these one another passages and how we are to connect with each other. But then he also says, bear with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, Serve one another. It's this one another mindset that that brings the joy of the journey. 
And so when we think about other people, whether it's people who are in the kingdom or people who have not yet chosen to come in the kingdom, we're always thinking about, the, we, we move at a pace and a speed that other people can see and hear Jesus. We're being sensitive to the way other people hear and see. Haddon Robinson used to tell us in, in our preaching classes that one of the things we have, to, we have to keep thinking about is not what do I want to say, but what do other people need to hear? And that's a big difference. And also, not just what do people need to hear, but how do they best hear it? And I think that's a sort of a, a mindset of life in the church and our relationships with people outside the church. Thinking about others more than ourselves. Making room in our lives, on our journey, for others on their journey. It's the continual call that we have. And that means our attitude matters. It's not enough just to pull over and then to grumble and whine and complain and be angry about it. But to pull over and to say, I'm glad to do that for you. I'm glad to help you. You need to get on the road, and I can help you get on the road. I'm willing to slow down. I'm willing to, to in a sense, inconvenience myself so you can get on the road too. And I think God is calling us to that. It's the mindset. It's the attitude we have. I mean, Jesus talks about this all the time, right? It's not just that you do the right things, but it's the motivation for why you do them. It's the heart attitude about doing them. And that's why Paul talks about love. He says, you, you know, we're talking about loving people. We're talking about giving ourselves up for other people. We're talking about, uh, talking about risking for other people, inconveniencing ourselves for other people. And we can choose to do it begrudgingly and see people as a hindrance and a burden or we can do it lovingly, joyfully, welcoming the opportunity to be that for other people. Because here's the honest truth. If we're on the journey, we're on that journey because at some point in time, probably multiple points in time, people slowed down and pulled over for us. I bet if you took 30 seconds, you could think of multiple people who, if you, that you realized slowed down and pulled over for you so that you could get on the journey with them. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's another relative. Maybe it's a, a pastor or a church leader. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor. Someone who said, I'm willing to inconvenience myself, I'm willing to slow down, I'm willing to move over so that you can get on the road too. It makes me wonder if, if the Apostle Paul didn't think about that as he was wrestling with this whole idea. Because Acts tells us that after Paul has his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, the Holy Spirit comes to Ananias and says, I want you to go to Paul, and I want you to minister to him, and I want you to introduce him to the church. And Ananias says, yeah, I don't think so. 
I know who Paul is. He's a persecutor of Christians. I know everything about his reputation. I'm not doing that. And the Holy Spirit keeps saying to him, you need to do this. And so he does. And Ananias takes a risk, and he, he, he moves over, and he goes to Paul, and he, and he brings him in. Ironically, Barnabas does the same thing for Paul with the Jerusalem church. After Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he wants to join the church leaders, and they too say, yeah, I don't think so. We, all, we know all about you, Paul. This is a trick. But Barnabas says, I'll spend time with him, and I'll check him out. And Barnabas does. And what's fascinating is as Barnabas and Paul take their journeys, there is a shift For a long time, Luke describes them as Barnabas and Paul, and then the point comes where he describes them as Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas takes a back seat. He's willing to move over, slow down, make room for Paul and his journey and what God's calling him to do. And I am certain every one of us has people who have and probably still are making room for us in our journey, answering our questions, celebrating the the things that we discover in Scripture when they've known it for years, bringing us along, being willing to say, I'll I'll hold back so that you you can join. I mean, Paul says, he says, I'm tr- I want to be all things to all people. And I take that to mean I'm willing to slow down for anybody who wants to get on the journey. I'm willing to, to step back and give them room, even if it means I'm less efficient in my journey, the way we interpret that. One of the questions in my mind about this whole scenario between Paul and Timothy is who, who takes the first step? I think for a long time, I, I always thought it was John Mark. I, mean, I said Timothy, I meant John Mark. I, I think for a long time it was, John, it, it, was, it's, it was John Mark because he was certainly, obviously, the immature one. He's the one that ran off home. He's the one that, for whatever reason, couldn't handle the journey. And, and he had to grow up, and then everything was fine. But the more I've thought about it, I think maybe the one who took the first step was Paul. I think Paul was the one who said, look, I was wrong about not giving you space. I was wrong for not giving you room to grow and mature because that's how the gospel tends to work. Over and over again, we see the one who's stronger making room for the weak. Over and over again, we see the one who has power relinquishing that for those who do not. Over and over again, we see those who have all the knowledge being willing to to slow down and teach those and and submit themselves in, in teaching to those who need to learn. That's the way of the gospel. And where do we get that idea? Where do we get the idea for us to slow down for other people? We get it from Jesus himself. There is no one who walks this earth that slows down and moves over more than Jesus does. 
John begins his gospel by saying, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The almighty God comes into this world as a human baby. That's slowing down and moving over. And all throughout his ministry, he keeps repeating himself over and over again to the disciples and the people around him, trying to help them understand. And I am certain there must have been moments, and you get glimpses of this, where Jesus becomes a little bit exasperated that they still don't get it. And yet he keeps slowing down and moving over to give them room, to give them space, to bring them in so that they do get it. And what really Jesus is doing is simply revealing the heart of God. Because the moment God creates human beings, he is in essence slowing down and moving over at our pace. And when God says to Abraham, I want, I want to, to, to have a relationship with you, and I want to, I want to, I want to influence the world and, and redeem the world through you, he is slowing down and moving over at the pace of Abraham. And when he says to Israel, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God and you're going to represent me and I'm going to work through you, God is slowing down and moving over. And the only reason you and I are on this journey is because God has done the exact same thing for us. And what he's really asking of us is to simply bear his image with others. That we who have experienced his grace and received that grace so that we have joined the journey, he's simply saying, now be agents of that grace to others as they make their way on the journey too. As I've thought about this, the person who's come to my mind is Henry Nouwen. Nouwen, as you, you may know, was was a prolific writer, author. He also taught at the Yale Divinity School. He taught at the Harvard Divinity School. He spoke all over the world. And as a, as a Catholic, he was still highly revered by many Protestants. I know my life has been deeply affected by his writings. One of the most amazing things to me about Henry Nouwen is that in the last 10 years of his life, he gave up a lot of that, what he was doing, all, the, all the, the accolades of teaching, and he went to work at a little arch community, a community for mentally and physically disabled adults. And he went there and, and with others took care of people who could not fully take care of themselves. And sometimes that meant bathing them, sometimes that meant feeding them, sometimes that meant clothing them. Whatever was the need, Henry Nouwen went. And a story, I read a story that he, he often would, when he went, did take some speaking engagements, he would often take one of the residents with him. And he went to Washington to speak, and he, he took a man named Bill, and after he was done speaking that night, Bill came up on the platform and said he wanted to say something. And he was a little bit uncertain because he didn't know what he would say. And Bill stood up and said, thank you all for coming. It was great to be here with you. And he sat down. 
And he went around and, and then he went around and he shook the hands of everybody at the table. And the next morning at breakfast, as they were preparing to leave, he went around and talked and shook hands with everybody around in the, in the restaurant. And they got on the plane, they were sitting on the plane, and Bill said to Henry now, and he said, uh, we did good, didn't we? And Henry said, yes, we did. And Bill said, and the great thing was, we did it together. And Henry said, yes, that is the great thing. And now one writes about his experience at large, and he says, whatever anyone gained from me paled in comparison to what I gained from them. Making room. I'm convinced that Paul would have always had a good relationship with Jesus, even if he hadn't taken steps or the reconciliation between he and John Mark hadn't taken place. But I believe because it did, Paul had a great and awesome relationship with Jesus and experienced, as he writes over and over and over again, the joy of the journey. Not just his journey with Jesus, but his journey with Jesus and others. I have no idea who God may be asking you to slow down and to pull over for. But I'm pretty sure he will. And the question for us is, will we welcome that and find even deeper joy in our journey with him? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of relationships. Be glorified, Father, in working in us the kind of image-bearing that, like Jesus, welcomes others into our journey. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen.